It's Vancouver's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Fay, hub builder and co-host of British Columbia's podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network, your source for great insights from entrepreneurs from across Canada. We talk to entrepreneurs who are making it happen here so you can listen, discover, and engage. Today, I am absolutely privileged to have Mike Schwartz, who is here from BC, a BC entrepreneur from Squamish. Um, He's going to tell us a little bit about his company, but he came from UBC Saunders School of Business with a Bachelor of Commerce, and uh, he's been self-employed working on internet startups for over 18 years, has a rich history of Successful.com. Exits, including Club Vibes, Tech Vibes, a massive tech conference, which I think is actually the title, the massive tech conference, Discover Vancouver, Clubzone.com. And uh, he's actually now into a brand and, and business called My Zone, which uh, for those of you uh, who joined us, we were just talking about the impact of um, pandemics on the event industry and how it's going to shake things up. But um, Mike himself loves to travel and spend several months per year on the road working remotely. And uh, he was recognized in 2005 as a BIV top 30 under 30. So Mike, thanks for joining us here in Canada's podcast. We're excited to have you. Top 30 under 30. That's back when I had hair. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, um, we all have the back when we had stories, so not to worry. Hey, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, my zone. I guess I said a little bit about your dot com experiences, but what's your actual entrepreneur entrepreneurial journey? When did it start, and and how did you get to where you are today? Well, it started right out of university. I took a job for six months uh, selling life insurance and mutual funds, and I realized I wasn't cut out for employment. Uh, far too argumentative with my bosses. Uh, Read if you're listening in. Sorry. <laughs> I, I just was always thinking outside the box and trying to do things the way that I wasn't told to do them. And um, so I started reading all these magazines at the time the internet was exploding. I was reading like Profit and Fortune and all these sort of dot-com things. Billionaires were blowing up, uh, coming out of nowhere. And that time, I mean, you could launch a pet food brand and be a billionaire. So I'm just like, I have to leave what I'm doing and just do everything and jump into the internet. And so I started out by like teaching myself how to build a GeoCities website. I taught myself HTML and Flash. I was doing Flash animations. I took a course at Cap College in North Vancouver. It was called the uh, Microsoft Certified System Engineer Program, MCSE. It was a big rage back then. You know, you spend 20, 25 grand and you take these IT courses for a year and you come out and get a fancy job and you're in the dot-com world. Well, I went into that path. At the time, I started a company. It was called exclusive-promotions.net. And my vision was that I gave myself some career coaching as like, well, if I want to start a dot-com, where do I want to go? I mean, you could do anything back then. It was the Wild West. I'm like, well, I love going to clubs. I love drinking alcohol. I'm single. I love music and DJs. I'm like, and the business model just came along. It's like, well, let's build a nightlife information guide. We hate waiting in lineups. We didn't know how to get into clubs for free. I'm tired of paying cover charges. So that's how we started it. And so I went back to Cap College. I took this MCSE program. Well, within two months, of, I was working part-time on my business. The business really started to take off. And I actually partnered with uh, Joel Winemaster in North Vancouver. I dropped out of that program after two months. Fortunately, I, I, I was paying in installments, so I didn't lose the full 20 grand. I <laughs> only lost the first five grand. And yeah, we started clubvibes.com together. That was probably like 1999, 2000-ish. 
And uh, yeah, that was our first project. I haven't stopped being a dot-com entrepreneur since, since that day. Mm-hmm. And so segue into, you know, I mentioned a few things along the way, but segue into where you are today. Um, you know, I've had the privilege of talking, so I know you have a, a remote team working globally um, and you've niched out in the event industry. Yeah, I don't think there's a clean segue. I mean, unless I bypass the sort of schizophrenic <laughs> mind map that got me to here, like, okay, let's just fast forward 15 years of entrepreneurial madness and ups and downs. Uh, we launched MyZone maybe seven or so years ago. And that's where we, we, like, we kind of had a collapse of the nightlife industry and then we came into MyZone and that's where we started, instead of trying to build like a, a software as a service platform where, where we were just you know flipping switches and collecting residual revenue, we just started trading time for money to uh, build a, a sustainable platform that we could go out and take additional sort of moonshot strategies from there. So it came from a place of collapse mm-hmm. and so we started a, a web design, graphic, a graphic design software development agency uh, we spun off Club Zone tickets, turned into TicketZone.com. So we spun off a primary ticketing company. Uh, we had a printing division within there, which is called MyZone Printing, and we've expanded that into a wide range of events-related printing services, um, ticketing, printing, marketing, and development. So there's now four divisions within MyZone, and the overall, the overarching uh, focus up until this coronavirus has been uh, helping the event producers operate more efficiently. So. We typically meet with a, an, an event. We'll find out what their specific pain points are. And because we've worked with thousands mm-hmm. of clients in the industry, we know how to fix those problems. So it may be as simple as helping optimize their website for e-commerce conversion rates. It might be switching over their primary ticketing or setting up an admission strategy. Um, for clients like uh, Glow Gardens, which we helped take global last year, uh, it was everything. Everything from branding to marketing to PR to ticketing admissions to printing uh, to every, every, you know, so it really depends on the client and what their, their needs are. We've ha- I have a little promo video on our website. Like we help some clients just get 500 Tyvek wristbands and other clients, we help them, you know, roll out globally. Everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So how do you identify an ideal client? Um, uh, cause I'm envisioning, uh, and I mean more the, comprehensive client servicing because I'm sure there's lots of people out there with great ideas of events that they would love to put on what 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 what's the what's the genius do you think behind the person with an idea versus who will be able to commercialize it and be a ongoing client I think like the, the, I mean, the best client for me and, and the, the, the most successful event producers, I think are the ones that are really collaborative and open to change and ego free and like to listen and believe in hiring good people and getting out of the way. An event is really like a startup and startups take, you know, strong leadership and great team building and all the right skills and communication platforms and accountability systems. and. I think there's a lot of event promoters out there that take it like it's a sort of a lifestyle business. It's a for fun thing. They don't necessarily take it seriously. Kind of like the dot-com startups in 99, 2000, there was a lot of crap in the mix that weren't following solid business principles. And those people kind of got weeded out. There's see, there's a lot of attrition in the events industry. So Mm. I like to look for people that are established, people that have made it through their first couple of years. 
um, that are ego-free, hungry to learn and grow, and respectful and ambitious. Uh, we try to avoid the ones that are, um, you know, yeah, that think they know everything because uh, they'll usually be gone. You have to adapt. Like the industry is changing so fast, not just from a technology and a marketing perspective. I mean, you, you know, if you just look back 10, 15 years ago, it used to be that flyering and phone calls was like how they did business and it was radio and TV. And, and then suddenly you got into Facebook and social and, and, and even the tools within social are evolving so quickly. So any promoter today who thinks they know everything that they're gone in three years, they have to mm. be humble and hungry. And it's also it, things adapt very quickly in terms of what the consumers want. Like if you look now, like this huge surge in the last couple of years of these experiential Christmas events, well, we've already seen them transform. And based on the, the surveys and data we collect, we know that what worked last year is not going to work next wow. year. Um, so there's, you have to be very responsive, agile, adaptive to survive in the events industry. Well, and uh, that's a good point as far as being data-driven. I mean, what, um, what do you see as the emerging trends, even if we take the short term in the next two years, <laughs> Hard to ask the question today versus two months ago. It might be a completely different answer. Emerging trends. If you're in the events industry, run for the hills. Um, Sorry, I'm not laughing because it's no, funny. I mean, I'm laughing because it's tragic. Oh, it, yeah, it's awful. I mean, it, the, right now, so the international conferences are the first to go. Anything that's involved, like, all, you know, Facebook's FA conference shut down. There was, uh, I read a, a news article about a week ago, and that's old news now in the coronavirus mm -hmm. world. That uh, was 260 conferences were shut down in um, in Europe within a, like a couple of days. So all of the major international conferences are pretty much shut down. And you know the Olympics haven't hasn't shut down yet, but it, you know it probably will or it'll be moved to yeah. you know TV only. So that's the first wave of events that are collapsing. The localized events we're not seeing a collapse yet, but it's you know it's watch the Joe Rogan podcast. I think it's happening. Okay. Um, but what, what's definitely happening is those events are trimming budgets. They are being very careful where they spend, uh, which I think is smart. But what I'm seeing a, a trend right now, a really interesting one, is I've had a lot of clients, they've come to me and they're asking, how do we prepare for this virus? What should we do? And I've had another group of clients that are coming to me just telling me the answer, which I'm telling to the other clients that don't yet know is, you need to find like your which parts of your business are virus proof. So um, one of the best uh, strategies I recommend is that people move their business online. So we're seeing that in the conference space where people are still holding the conference, but now they're charging for it and they're making it like an online e-learning experience and people are just not gathering. So if you're an education-based conference, you can still push forward just moving those conferences online. And I've got another... Um, a client who does uh, craft uh, craft shows around Vancouver and Edmonton, and I was recommending for her is like, let's find a way to push your your products online so people can actually purchase the products mm -hmm. uh, without having to go to the show. Um, so there's there's different ways. Like for us, for our business, uh, our pivoting strategy is is really just tackle another industry temporarily and try and find an industry that is synergistic with events. So we're going to start targeting. Uh, cannabis, alcohol, um, and potential iOS gaming, um, 
places where there's similar demographics, like we have a, we have huge databases of, of customers that have gone to like glow Christmas events. So we have a lot of experience working with, with moms, with young children that have been to those events. So I think that the smart event producers right now will look to pivot quickly for the short term. I think in three to six months, things will bounce back fine. Um, but if they don't react, um, if they don't get into e-commerce or get into e-learning or find an industry to support, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, other than that, you know, they may be out of business in six months. Wow. Um, I love your, your wording on, be, on what aspects of your business are virus proof, right? Um, and uh, I, I can't help but bring to forefront, I, when I, my girlfriends posted on Facebook the other day, they said something like, you know, so excited to have jazz hands. I've been waiting for this opportunity to, you know, be able to say hi and shake hands with jazz hands. And of course, I'm the opposite. My whole thing is, oh my God, we're human beings, right? We need the physical presence and the and the physical energy of of uh, both combination of both digital and and physical. Um, you know, how do, how do we maintain our humanity in in proximity to people at events? and stay kind of virus proof at the same time. Is there a magic? Yeah, I mean, there's, that's really the, 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 the number one solution they're recommending for this virus that I don't think they can stop. And the epidemiologist on the Joe Rogan podcast agrees, like this is going everywhere. And the most important thing we can do is they just call it social distancing is mm. you, you can't stop it. You can just slow it down. And right. events are the exact opposite of what we need. So uh, I unfortunately um, believe that events should be more proactive in shutting down. Uh, I think that the government response is often quite delay delayed and it's up to us, you know, small business owners to be proactive with that. But um, interesting, a friend of mine who's in Vancouver originally from Beijing, he actually launched Club Zone with me in Beijing and we went to the Olympics in 2008 together. And he was telling me, he still has a lot of friends back in China and what they're doing for social activities right now while in mass quarantine is actually what you and I are doing, except with a lot more videos is his friends are having like these whiskey and poker <laughs> nights and they've got, you know, they're all using Zoom video and they're all just wow. chatting and socializing. So I think uh, if you look at the share price for Zoom, there's a reason why it's up like 60% in the last month is there's a few players in the space that are related to stay at home or delivery of food or the Netflixes, the Peloton yeah. stocks. Yeah. Uh, how do we stay connected in this day and age? It's sad, but this is it. It's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be staying at home. It's going to be not going to birth kids' birthday parties. It's going to, kids are going to get pulled out of school. The, the big events are going to fall. And we're just going to have to connect through video conferencing until, until things quiet down. Hmm. What do, you, do you have an estimated timeline based on what you've been listening to? Um, three to six months. So I think that any events that are in sort of Q1, Q2 or big trouble, Q3, possible Q4 should be pretty safe. Um, I'm not an expert. I'm just sort of going with what I've been reading online. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to think that the pushing events back into fall is a safe bet. Um, I had quite a few clients that have pushed their fall events even into spring out of concern that it may drag on longer. Right. Uh, it's one thing to say too, like we're going to have the, the virus is going to slow down heading into the summer when it gets warmer. They just tend to do that. Um, and we're hopeful too. I mean, they're talking about a potential vaccine could be anywhere from six months, record-breaking speed to a year and a half away. So mm -hmm. um, 
it's hard to say. But if, if I was an event producer with a large event in the first six months of 2020, I would be looking at either canceling it or rescheduling it right away. And so, Mike, just uh, going back to your entrepreneurial journey, and we talked about this in our intro call, is about the, you know, you've had a, another major pivot. You describe it as the collapse of the nightlife industry um, when you were, that was your, your whole entire business model was based on that. I, obviously, we're going to have to have another follow-up interview in like 12 months so we can see where you've pivoted. I'm totally curious. But um, for right now, what what are you doing in this um, little mini crisis that, you know, like you said, with, for some there's crises and for other there's massive opportunity. And whether there's a, you know, whether it's a, a pandemic or a financial crisis or whatever the crisis is, how does that affect your day-to-day -day operations? Um, what do you do? What do you, what do you do when something well, external I, is happening? When I went through my first round of restructuring, that was after the sort of like 10, 12 year mark when we had to, we almost went bankrupt, bankrupt and we had to sell off assets. That's when we sold off club zone. Um, I read a book on uh, restructuring companies and one of the, the key points that I took out of the book is that the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make is they don't cut deep enough and they don't cut fast enough. And so when you're in a downturn, what happens is you have this self-reinforcing downward spiral. Like, you know, you lay some people off, you lose some clients, you lay more people off and your revenue goes down. You sort of, you cut your way down, down, down. And you're really trying to, the analogy, think of like a, a plane. It's coming, it's mm. crashing. You got to pull it up, pull it up, pull it up. And then it starts to go again. And when you do it wrong, you have like this long, slow ramp. Uh, so not cutting deep enough, fast enough. And that was a big learning experience for me. In hindsight, I went back. It was sort of a two, three year transition where we did rounds and rounds and rounds. And man, if I just ripped off the Band-Aid at the beginning, I could have been back up within three months. So right. um, that's sort of the approach that we're taking right now. It's There's a huge human element pain uh, mm. to that with, with layoffs and, and you know having teams that are committed to you. That's extremely painful to go through. But... There's definitely big rounds of layoffs. Um, and we're, we're doing things like we're trying to uh, push people to other companies temporarily where we can hopefully bring them back again. Mm -hmm. Because I think we'll be rehiring like crazy in September, October once this thing has passed. So yeah, cutting deep, cutting fast, and pivoting. Um, those are the two things. So we're trying to find, as we pivot, like we have, a, for example, one of the four divisions is a marketing agency. Um, instead of going after event producers, we're going after businesses that we think are virus proof and highly synergistic with of that. So that's why we've targeted alcohol. Uh, a lot of our events, they need alcohol sponsors. And so having a close relationship with alcohol companies uh, could be handy. One of the alcohol's uh, main marketing strategies is, is event marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, so going into that space, I think people that are locked in quarantine are going to be drinking more than <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're gonna start targeting totally some uh, micro breweries and and things like that. A lot of our festival clients have close relationships, and we've coordinated on the corporate sponsorship deal. We've worked with a lot of these alcohol companies before. We understand their demographic, their customer base very well, mm -hmm. just from years of being in nightlife. So that's an example of how we're looking to pivot that. And on the web development and graphic design side, it's just instead of targeting event-based businesses, it's just um, you know adjusting our lead generation process to to hit other industries. So. Gotcha. Um, and uh, you you mentioned cannabis as well. I got to just throw that in there because it's kind of an emergent emerging sector. Do you see opportunity there? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. We uh, well, we have quite a bit of experience there. So uh, about three years ago, we helped a company called Greenrush.com uh, get started. In um, it's an on-demand cannabis delivery platform. It's still online to this day. They had a bit of a, a setback with the uh, financial collapse. The the financial markets mm-hmm. collapsed for the cannabis industry about a year ago. So they're in the middle of some restructuring. But you no, know, it was a a wild ride with with Greenrush, and we learned a lot about the industry, a lot of technology and marketing experience in that space. Mm-hmm. It's very challenging for cannabis companies to market themselves due to all the regulations. Yeah. So um, the the keyword there is circumvention, is finding your way around you know the right. loopholes, and that takes a you know creative thinking. So you can't go A to B in marketing world like a normal company is like you buy your Google ads, you drive it to your website, you buy your Facebook ads, yeah. you drive it to websites. In cannabis world, it's like A to B to C. C is you and B is the intermediary that allows you to circumvent the rules from A. So that is the general strategy there. And one example of something we're working on for a client in this space is there's a new um, game, uh, an iOS game called Hazy Days. It's just in beta right now in Canada. And it's it's, think of Clash of Clans uh, meets Farmville meets Narcos. (laughs) I don't know Narcos, but... Well, like it's think of uh, you know Clash of Clans. I don't. I you know what? I'm not a gamer, but I know okay. Farmville. I know Farmville. For okay, sure. so think, think of Farmville, but weed. Okay. Okay. Cool. And, and uh, so you can advertise these games online. So if you're say a company like Weed Maps, ah. you, can't, you can't go to Google and say you know come to Weed Maps and buy weed off of our you know customers or our dispensaries. But you can promote the game. The game can be that intermediary step. And what we're doing, we're building technology so that the game will track which cannabis company has sent the traffic to the game. And then within the game, we're changing up the branding elements. So Weed Map sends over 100,000 app installs of this, this role-playing, this uh, multiplayer game, then they'll have tons of exposure opportunities within the game. They can build branding. And so we can go out there and buy Google Ads on behalf of a cannabis company. We can buy Facebook ads. We can mm-hmm. give them the branding impressions, build the relationships with the customer, even do a profit share from the in-game upsell. So that's an example of like an A to B to C strategies. We work with them to promote a game. The game promotes them. They can't go direct. So right. there's, a lot, there's a lot we had to learn about even just skirting the rules with Google and Facebook. But after a couple of years of of doing that, I think we have some good strategies. There. Yeah, excellent. Um, and I have a so what you're based in BC. You're in Vancouver. Yeah. Hey, Specky, um, born and raised. What what is unique about uh, where you live? Why do you love where you live? Oh, other than clearly, yeah, I'm sitting that's in my office lot with my view. But yeah, that's a pretty good reason. A beautiful sunny day today. That's downtown Vancouver. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And um, why Vancouver? I mean, born and raised, and uh, I just love the mountains. Um, it's it's tough. It's tough leaving a city. I, I'm not totally permanently attached to Vancouver. I actually don't feel like I found my home yet. I uh, have spent some time traveling, and Maui feels like I'd probably Ooh. will settle there at some point. I just love skiing and I love diving, um, but I also love my friends in the city and staying close to family. So. I think the ideal end goal, if I can battle my way through this uh, coronavirus collapse, is you know a, a condo in Vancouver, a, a place in Whistler, a place in Maui, and, and um, but I've got a kid in school now who kind of you have to 
watch out for that. So I think I'm locked here for a while. But yeah, I'm born and raised, and um, I've lived all around Vancouver. And uh, it's it's just a beautiful city. I, I love just being outdoors, like hiking in summer, skiing in winter, um, and you know, quick flights to lots of cool places from here. Well, and if you could send out a message to uh, global listeners listening that uh, about doing business in Canada. Um, why here? What, what what should be our business attraction lure? Oh man, I'm probably not good for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're promoting business in Canada? Um, I, I am, you know, you might have to cut this out of the podcast. I, I, I'm a big, uh, like we have, you can't see the, the pins on the map behind me because yeah. they're, they're red. But you know, we have people in, I can't even keep track now, I think there's 15 countries around the world. I'm big on, um, like we work in a results-oriented work environment, uh, remote. It's remote, asynchronous, distributed. We're actually trying to come up with our own branded keyword for our work environment called RAD. And, and just what it means is uh, we hire the best people from anywhere in the world and we plug them into a work environment where we can't tell the difference. Like we've got quite a, there's about 13, 15 people here in Vancouver, but I can't tell the difference of working with somebody who's in Gastown or somebody who's in Croatia. Right. So if I can find somebody who's better and more affordable somewhere else in the world, why would I hire locally? So we do have maybe 15, 20 uh, employees in Canada and, and then the rest of them are scattered all across the world. So, um, why supporting business in in Canada? I mean, I think we're all you know we're all connected. We're all the same everywhere in the world. There's amazing people out there. I think for me, Canada is it's a lifestyle thing. It's a political safety thing. Like I'm I'm not a fan of of what's going on south of the border in terms of politics. Um, I like sort of the the open multiculturalism of Canadian society. I love the sort of more authentic, apologetic, sorry outdoors beer drinking culture. I mean, I was just born and raised that way. So for me, Canada is a cultural, uh, personal lifestyle choice, mm -hmm. I guess, uh, maybe even a political one. But uh, in terms of business, I think there's a lot of challenges in, in Canada. And I think Canadian businesses really need to embrace uh, globalization uh, to, to find affordable talent. Mm -hmm. It's very hard finding senior developers in Canada, especially now with Amazon opening up and Facebook and all these big uh, companies are just gobbling up the remaining tech talent. So you try and find a senior PHP developer in Vancouver, like good luck, you're, you're fighting with Amazon for that person right now. So yeah. I think to thrive in Canada, you really need to open yourself up to remote work. Absolutely. And that's a great trend. Uh, there was something you talked about rad, but I remember in our intercall, you talked about a particular book that you read that was a game changer. Um, yeah, so it started with the, the TED Talk. It was the Dan Pink and the Science of Motivation. And then I started to understand that there's a lot better ways of running your business. Then I, I read the book, is Why Work Sucks and What You Can Do About It. It was the consultants that took uh, Best Buy uh, to a, a results-oriented work environment. Um, most businesses, they run on an operating system. Uh, the two most common ones that I know of, one's called EOS from the book Traction on Demand. That's a lot of people in EO, entrepreneur organization, are using that one. And and then the one that we're on is, is from, it's called The Rockefeller Habits. It's from Vern Harnish and his latest book, uh, Scaling Up. Um, and we've worked with some of their coaches to, to set that infrastructure. Well, we've taken the infrastructure from Rockefeller Habits and after 12 years of iteration, we've just made it remote and made it global. So um, yeah, we've just taken an existing system and modified it. Well, and um, 
of your of your workforce, your particular crew, how much, what's the percentage of your um, crew that are remote? So, I mean, we have, we have three actual physical offices, one in Zagreb, one in Bosnia and Herzegovina, one in Gastown. Uh, we've had offices in Argentina temporarily. We have quite a few shared work spaces. Like I had a space here in Burnaby at Regis for a while that we were using. Um, we've got another one out near Kitsilano called Sweet Genius that some of our team uses. So we let people choose. Either they can work from home, they can go to one of our offices, or they can get a, you know, a Regis or a WeWork or what have you. It's really up to them. The point is, is that we let them decide what works best for them. So some people have right. like a great little spare bedroom and they just they love where they live and they want to work from home. Great. Other people are like, oh my God, I like have kids, like no. And we get them a Regis or WeWork. So um and then those that do work from, like, we have a pretty big office in, in Zagreb, the capital of Croatia, there might be, like, 20 desks or 12 desks there and 25 people, but they just sort of come a couple of days a week for social media. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. One thing that's been helpful here in Vancouver is we actually meet up once a week in person uh, up until now. Now we're going to stop doing that yeah. to, for social distancing reasons, but... Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest challenge in mm -hmm. the, the remote work environment is how to maintain those close social connections when you're distance. And there's there's lots of little tricks we, we do there. Absolutely. Mike, it has been a pleasure. We're um, getting to the end. How can people follow up with you after this podcast? What's the what's the best solution? And maybe do we need to wait three months? Or <laughs> No, I mean, I'm, no. I'm, I've never been so hungry for business. So if, <laughs> if you need a smart digital marketing agency... Uh, if you need help with software development, um, even if you're an event business that's looking to make a rapid transition to survive this coronavirus, mm -hmm. reach out to me. Um, how to get a hold of me? Just email mike at myzone.com. You can see us online, myzone.com. Uh, it's funny, I grew up on social media and I've been really active on it, but I, I don't, in the last two years, I, I don't read anything on social. So I'm not on Twitter, I'm not on Facebook. We yeah. run social media marketing, but I'm just so burnt out. It's like, at the end of the day, I don't want anything to do with that. So yeah, best is just to hit me up on email, Mike at myself. Awesome. awesome. And any last, uh, any last sound bites of uh, information or insights for the, for the future that you'd love to leave with our audience? It's cliche, but love what you do and it doesn't feel like work. I've been it's working so 70 hours a week for the last 20 years. And people are like, how do you do it? How do you ride this out? I'm like, I love what I do. So yeah. if you're thinking about starting up a business, just like pick what you're passionate about and dive in. Stay humble. Keep learning. Don't don't develop an ego. You know, I've been at this for 20 plus years now. And every year, I feel like my knowledge improves like 30 to 50%. I will look at myself today, five years from now, and go, man, that guy was an idiot. And as long as you keep realizing that, mm -hmm. you will succeed. And, and don't give up. Just keep going and you'll never stop. Awesome. And Mike, it's been a pleasure. I love your energy. I love your energy. I'm going to keep tabs on uh, what Joe Rogan has to say and, and uh, on the MyZone. I look forward to connecting with you again. Awesome. Thanks. Go team. Hey there. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to British Columbia's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters and write a review for us on iTunes. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com. You can check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'm Angela Fay. See you next time.